You're listening to Comedy Central. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. we're all on edge because of the coronavirus. And yes, it is scary, but you know what helps me sleep at night? Is remembering that there are a million other things that could kill me first. Yeah, there's car accidents or fires or that suicide pact I made with my best friend in high school if we weren't (laughs) married by now. But luckily, luckily the US government recently took action to cross one potential killer off the list. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is targeting PFAS chemicals in its new proposal for a national drinking water standard. PFAS are toxic chemicals linked to serious diseases like, oh, cancer, liver damage, and thyroid disease. And guess what? They never, ever, ever degrade. In fact, they're known as forever chemicals. They're so prevalent, CDC scientists believe PFAS chemicals are in the bloodstreams of nearly all Americans. Yeah, apparently there's a group of chemicals called PFAS <laughs> that are in all of our blood and it might cause cancer. And because they're impossible to break down, they're known as forever chemicals, which sounds really dangerous, but also kind of romantic. <laughs> yeah, it does. It sounds like something from an old school R&B song. You know, it's just like, girl, I wanna be your forever chemical. <laughs> There's nothing toxic about our love. (laughs) But what are these forever chemicals? And how did they get into us? Because if it's not sexually transmitted, I don't know how I got it. Now, forever chemicals might be with us until the end of time, but they were only engineered by scientists about 80 years ago. And for a while, it seemed like they would only change the world for the better. PFAS chemicals were first discovered in 1938, accidentally by scientists. They were used a few years later in the Manhattan Project. What make PFAS so useful in manufacturing is how the chemicals fit together. The fluorine atoms just so happen to fit perfectly around the carbon atoms to create a bond that resists things like heat, oil, and water. It's in most products that are water, heat, and grease resistant. They're used to repel water, grease, and oil in all sorts of things, from carpets to clothing to nonstick cookware That's right, forever chemicals are used to keep things like food, oil, and moisture from sticking to surfaces, which you can't deny is really useful. I mean, like, I don't want to get cancer, but at the same time, have you ever tried scraping eggs off a non... (laughs) like like a sticky pan? Have you tried that? It's a nightmare. Like, there have definitely been times when I was just like, I'd rather be dead! 
man. And this technology, this technology was discovered by scientists entirely by accident, which always amazes me that they can do this. Like scientists are always making one thing, but then they discover something totally different. You know, I mean, like I've done the same thing in my life. Like one time I was trying to create dinner for my girlfriend, but instead I discovered that she didn't love me. <laughs> I, I guess in a way me and Stacy were also nonstick. But the point is, the point is, these forever chemicals have tons of uses. Uh, they were even used in the Manhattan Project to help build the first atomic bomb, which means at some point in the 1940s, a general was like, did you discover a way to defeat the Germans? And the scientists were like, uh, we're still working on it. Uh, but, but before I get to that, has this ever happened to you? <laughs> now, forever chemicals would be incredible if they remained in all those products like they were supposed to. Unfortunately, they just can't seem to stay put. So once they're made, they just accumulate in the environment, they end up in our water supply, they end up in our food, and they end up in us. The environmental watchdog group found forever chemicals, or PFAs, in drinking water in some 31 states. You'll find them in the lining of typical takeout containers and pizza boxes. But the toxins in the packaging can transfer into food. The Food and Drug Administration just found substantial levels in some grocery store meats and seafood. And they found even higher levels in chocolate cake that can be bought off the shelf. Damn, chocolate cake takes no prisoners. <laughs> if it doesn't get you with the diabetes, it's got a backup plan to take you down with secret chemicals. <laughs> yeah, it's like if Walter White teamed up with Betty Crocker. <laughs> and why does this always happen with food we love, huh? It's always the food we love that's coming to kill us. You never hear the news say, this just in, fermented horse meat is bad for you. <laughs> it's always like, do you enjoy chocolate cake and water? Well, you dead now. <laughs> because chocolate cake would have been bad enough, but forever chemicals are also in our water. Our water, people. That means it's in the sink, it's in the shower, which means it's seen me naked. <laughs> so it could give me cancer and blackmail me. I swear to God, forever chemicals, you tell anyone about that thing hanging off my back and I'll kill you. So anyway, thanks to Forever Chemicals, everything from your food to your drinking water is contaminated. And yes, the EPA is finally starting to take action now, but people have been raising concerns about these Forever Chemicals for decades. And for decades, companies like DuPont were brushing off those concerns like they were food on a Teflon pan. Even DuPont says it cannot rule out that Teflon-connected products, such as its Stainmaster carpet treatment, give off the chemical. Uma Chowdhury, a vice president of research, is the DuPont executive chosen to publicly defend Teflon. She says Teflon is completely safe, even if the key chemical is in everyone's blood. Everyone has it. Everyone has it. It's in my blood? Your blood? Possibly. We do not believe there are any adverse health effects. Is it a good thing use? to have it in your blood? There are lots of chemicals that are present in our blood. There are lots of chemicals in our blood. Yeah, but right now, we're talking about the chemicals your company put there. What kind of defense is this? Can you imagine if you caught someone breaking into your home and you're like, hey, what are you doing here? They're like, uh, there are many people in houses right now. <laughs> I mean, who's that guy? You're like, that's my husband, my point exactly. So at this point, at this point, no matter what the government does to fight forever chemicals, there's a good chance a lot of the damage is already done. If you've got blood, these forever chemicals are in it. So all companies like DuPont can do now is just put their best spin on things, which isn't easy. Well, I won't lie, if I ran DuPont, I would, I would try. I'll try and 
like figure out a way to make it look good. You know, I wouldn't hide the fact that they may have poisoned almost every human on the face of the planet. No, I, I would make ads to own it with pride. What do banks, real estate, and the Oscars have in common? Discrimination. But at DuPont, we're all about inclusivity. That's right, no matter who you are or where you're from, DuPont will poison you. I grew up in Texas, and I've got DuPont chemicals in my blood. Look at me. I am from Uganda, and I am poisoned. Because of all these chemicals in my blood, the doctors say I've got cancer. And so does my husband. <laughs> DuPont. Forever chemicals for everyone. Like many places around the world, Australia has an annual fire season. But thanks to climate change, this year it's gone from being a season to a never-ending nightmare. Halfway across the world, a catastrophic situation is playing out in Australia, where massive wildfires are forcing thousands of people from their homes. We knew the wildfires in California were huge in 2018. And last year, the fires in the Amazon were even bigger. But since September, the fires here in Australia have already burned more than three times both those events combined. Firefighters facing a relentless battle. Skies thick with smoke and glaring orange. The fires generating so much heat. Authorities say they're creating their own weather system, including several fire tornadoes. Holy shit, fire tornadoes? You know climate change has gotten bad when we're getting disaster mashups. Like, you realize if we don't do something about climate change, this could become the norm. Like, super disasters. And, like, tsunami volcanoes. Or blizzard earthquakes. The most disastrous combination of all, the Emoji Cats movie. (laughs) And these fires, these wildfires have been catastrophic on many fronts. They caused dozens of deaths. They've destroyed thousands of homes and they have been especially devastating to Australian wildlife. Firefighters are racing to save the wildlife amid those wildfires still raging. The staggering toll we've been reporting on here, now an estimated billion animals lost. Experts say 80% of Australia's wildlife can only be found on this continent, and many are now threatened. And as temperatures soared, koalas face dehydration. This firefighter lent a helping hand, and this cyclist gave water to a koala who just couldn't drink enough. Oh man, that is just heartbreaking. And not just because so many animals are being wiped out, but because Australia has the coolest animals you can't find anywhere else. Like, no one else has animals with a built-in fanny pack, huh? (laughs) Which other country has an animal that looks like a beaver banger duck? (laughs) And of course, Australia is home to the rarest species of all, the Hemsworth brother. We need them. (laughs) We need them. I also have to say, it's heartwarming to see people, you know, coming to the rescue of animals. Uh, Quick heads up, though, and this is completely true, the koala population is riddled with chlamydia. So I'm just saying you may want to scrub that water bottle before you, you know, have sex with it. Uh, Yeah, you don't want to get your own personal bushfire. Now, (laughs) Australians... Australians aren't just hurt and scared because of these fires right now. There's also a lot of anger in the country. And a lot of it is aimed at the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison who many Australians feel hasn't handled this situation like a leader should. This nationwide crisis started back in September. The Prime Minister continues to face backlash over the response. Morrison has been heavily criticised for insisting that the responsibility belonged to state rather than federal government and for vacationing in Hawaii during the fires. I get it that people would have been upset to know 
that I was holidaying with my family uh, while their families were under great stress. Scott Morrison set out for a prime ministerial moment on the fire's front lines. Instead, rejection, a firefighter refusing the prime minister's handshake. Other residents heckled the prime minister. Hey, come back! You're not welcome! Until he drove away. You from the media, tell the prime minister to go and get from Nelligan. We really enjoy doing this Wow, that is an angry Australian man. And usually it's hard to tell when Australians are angry, mostly because their accent always sounds upbeat. And I was just like, hey mate, I'm gonna stuff a bloody dingo up your ass. And you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so Australians are angry at the prime minister because he was on vacation during a crisis and he didn't want volunteer firefighters to get paid even though they're risking their lives. And while Australians are accusing their prime minister of not stepping up, the rest of the world, luckily, is trying to help in a major way. Apocalyptic destruction and a global reaction. The largest Facebook campaign ever has raised more than 30 million U.S. dollars for firefighters. Music star Lizzo took a break from her tour in Australia to help pack meals for fire victims. On Monday, a crew of 20 veteran firefighters from California who fought some of the state's most devastating wildfires suited up and shipped out to Melbourne. Kaylin Ward, she's a model and she's now known as the naked philanthropist. The 20-year-old was offering to send nude photos to people who made a donation to relief efforts. She posted on Twitter that if they made a donation and they sent her proof, she would send back a nude photo of herself. She says the idea has helped raise $1 million in donations. Wow. <laughs> this woman raised $1 million in donations with nude photos. Really shows you we can solve all the world's problems <laughs> if we can just harness the power of horniness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine if people got a nude picture every time they recycled properly. People would get very diligent about sorting their trash. Be like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? Put the plastic in the blue bin. I wanna see that ass. When you think of recycling, you probably think of a magical process where you throw your plastic in the blue bin and a unicorn takes it away and then nine months later, you get a beautiful new baby water bottle. But the truth is, much like making an actual baby, the recycling process is much messier than what you may believe. When most of us put out our recycling on trash day, recyclers sort through it, bundle it up, and ship it overseas to be recycled. For decades, much of that waste was sold to China. America's main export to China by volume was trash. Recycled metal, cardboard, and plastic. For decades, China's been a global dustbin taking huge quantities of our rubbish and recycling it. The relationship was symbiotic. China would ship goods to the U.S., the U.S. would use the empty ships to send China recycling. China would then use the recycling to make new goods to ship to the U.S., and the cycle continued. Yep, from China to America, and then back to China, and then to America again. Basically, it's the circle of trash. Paper, plastic into paper. A paper, plastic into paper. A paper, plastic into paper. Yeah, believe it or not, America creates so much trash that it's had to send it over to China to be recycled. Which isn't really surprising when you think about it. Like, nobody is better at creating unnecessary trash than America. I mean, this is the same country where you can buy orange slices in a plastic container. Yeah, as if there wasn't already a container for orange slices called an orange. <laughs> it's in the container. 
And for a very long time, the relationship worked, right? America sent China its recycling. China turned it into fake Louis Vuitton bags. But then, <laughs> just like your ex, after a while, China decided it was sick of taking trash. By 2012, China was receiving nearly half of all the recycling that Americans shipped out of the country. A lot of those materials could not be recycled. They were ending up in landfills, the environment, or worse, taking a human toll. Now the country is trying to clean up its image. In January, China stopped taking most of the dirty recycling. It called foreign garbage. Which means some 7 million tons of plastic needs to be recycled elsewhere. Yep. You see, back when China was a poorer country, they were fine with sorting through America's recycling. But now that they're more rich and more powerful, they've decided that that's beneath them, which is understandable, right? You start making some money, you upgrade your life. It's like when you get a big promotion, you know? So you start buying the super soft toilet paper, yeah? <laughs> Instead of using napkins you stole from Burger King. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know when you lay them together and you make sure the corners overlap? We've all done that, come on. So with China no longer taking America's plastic, all the recycling has had to find somewhere else to go. And for a while, there were a lot of countries in Asia that were willing to take it. In fact, they were happy to take it. This used to be mostly paddy fields, but rubbish which has been dumped here for almost 40 years dominates the landscape. Villagers here don't mind. In fact, they welcome it. Like many others, Giman makes a living from sorting through the waste. This used to be a poor area. I couldn't even afford to go to school. But with this trash, I could put my three children through school. My oldest is getting a PhD. That's insane, right? Like, that is one of the craziest things ever. This guy managed to get his kids a degree from trash, which is ironic because that trash probably contained a few actual degrees. <laughs> and his story wasn't the only one. Many people around Asia were making money by sorting through America's recycling, right? Which, which isn't a great job, but for many people, it changed their lives. But as we said earlier, America uses a lot of plastic. And after China closed its doors, many of these smaller countries couldn't handle the volume of plastic recycling that was coming into their countries. It turned from a blessing into a curse, which is always the case with plastic, let's be honest, right? Where there's plastic recycling or plastic surgery. A little bit is okay. <laughs> But if you do too much, you look like you're always watching the end of an M. Night Shyamalan movie. You're just like, what? <laughs> They're allergic to water? <laughs> so just like China, all these other countries have decided that they've had enough of Western trash. We don't want your recyclable trash. That is the message from Cambodia. That country just sent back 83 shipping containers filled with 1,600 tons of plastic waste back to the U.S. and Canada, saying, quote, Cambodia is not a dustbin where foreign countries can dispose of waste. Countries like the Philippines say it's Western waste littering their shores, sent to poorer countries instead of being recycled. The president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, even made it very clear uh, to Canada that the trash was not welcome. To, to send it back uh, to Canada. Your garbage is uh, on, uh, on, on the way. Prepare a grand reception. <laughs> Eat it if you want to. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Rodrigo Duterte. Rodrigo Duterte does not mess around. Prepare a grand reception for your trash and eat it if you want to? It's a slam, but it's such a weirdly formal way to tell someone to shove it up their ass. Like, 
No, like I'd love to hear Duterte deliver a yo mama joke. It's just like your mother has overindulged so much that the government recently bestowed upon her her own area code. Slam. <laughs> so Cambodia, Malaysia, Philippines, China, all of them have come together to say it is time for America's trash to go home. In other words, send it back. Send it back. <laughs> so now the trash is headed back here to the U.S. And you might be saying, well, fine, Trevor, we'll just have to recycle it ourselves. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's not that easy. So what happens now to the plastic we used to ship to China? Not much. A lot of it's just piling up here in the States. A lot of plastic comes to recyclers like Bulgaria all mixed together impossible to separate cost-effectively. Cities across the country are now re-examining whether their recycling programs are going to waste. Is it better for people to recycle wrong or not at all? It's better for people not to recycle at all. It sounds crazy, but you have to put it in context, okay? When it comes to like tin cans, like all of that stuff, you can still recycle it. But when it comes to plastic, incorrect recycling is worse than no recycling at all. And even though you might think, no, I recycle correctly, the chances are that you're not. Like, we all think we're recycling when we put a plastic bottle in the little blue plastic bin. But what we're actually supposed to be doing is taking the lid off the bottle, and then you're supposed to take that little ring off that's under the lid of every single bottle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and if you get takeout, you can't just throw that in the bin and call it a day. Even just rinsing it off isn't good enough. You're supposed to wash that thing, like make it clean, like cleaner than Mike Pence's browser history. Just everything. <laughs> Yeah, his shit is going, you kidding? He's like, I won't even type Google because it sounds like a sex thing. <laughs> and now, I know, when I say these things, you might be thinking, dude, I love this planet, but those plastic rings, that's too much. Well, well, then there's one other thing we could be doing, and that is using less plastic, which I know is hard because we've all gotten used to it. Like, I'm obsessed with it. We all use it. It's convenient, but we're gonna need to try. I've actually thought of a few solutions for all of us. You know, yeah, no, instead of plastic plates, I was thinking we can just use our iPads, okay? <laughs> Think about it, it's flat, it's big, and as an added bonus, when you watch Netflix during dinner, you don't even have to look up, yeah? Cause just be like, oh no, they killed 11! Oh, oh no, that's, that's just bolognese. Mm, ah oh, yeah, she's fine. <laughs> We're gonna do it for everything. Yeah, as for all those delivery containers that you get from like Postmates, no, that's something you don't need. Just have the delivery guy put all your food in his mouth, <laughs> and then he feeds it to you like a baby bird when he arrives. You'll be helping the planet and you'll make a really close friend. <laughs> yeah, so the next time, the next time you plan on tossing out a piece of plastic that you used for like a total of three seconds, just remember that pretty soon that plastic may be headed back your way. So if you don't know, now you know. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take the dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized an already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms, and it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. 
So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Why have wildfires been so bad in recent years? Well, if you immediately said, duh, climate change, then okay, you're mostly right. It's a disastrous new normal. Catastrophic fires, once contained to one season, now a harrowing year-round battle. We gotta go. A major factor, climate change. In the last 40 years, fall temperatures in California have increased about two degrees, while precipitation has dropped about 30%. Longer dry seasons and extreme events like heat waves that synchronize the risk of fire across enormous landscapes. Climate change is increasing the area burned by the average wildfire, more than doubling it since the 1980s. Since 1930, five of the biggest fires so far out of the top 10 have been this year. California is America fast forward. In other words, a postcard from the future. Oh man, are you serious? California is basically a postcard from the future? That means the future is also on fire? I mean, it also means that the post office is still functioning in the future, so I guess, woo, we did it. And that really is mind blowing. Five of the biggest fires have been this year? That's insane. Although this is 2020, so I'm kind of shocked that all of the biggest fires haven't been from this year. Wildfires might be here to stay, which is awful for humans, but especially bad for trees because they can't move. Humans can just run away from a wildfire, but trees, they're just stuck there. Can you imagine how terrifying that must be for them? Ah! 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 Now, there are a number of ways that climate change makes wildfires bigger and more frequent. For instance, not only does drier wood and leaves make better fuel for fires, but hot weather is also associated with increasing lightning strikes that ignite them. In fact, even small things about climate change can have a huge ripple effect that leads to fires. And I mean, really small things. Millions of drought-stressed trees in California forests were low on sap, which is their natural defense against the bark beetle. These are these little tiny bugs about the size of a grain of rice. Bark beetle infestation is linked to global warming. As the weather gets warmer, they burrow into the bark of pine trees. They kill the pine trees. The pine trees then essentially become sticks of kindling ready to burn. The beetles took down more than 160 million trees, and that's where some of the largest fires are burning today. Yeah, believe it or not, people, the spread of the tiny bark beetle is yet another way that climate change is making wildfires worse. It's also a great reminder that even though climate change is really bad for us humans, for some other creatures, it's the best thing that ever happened. It's like how the Trump administration has been a disaster for most people, but great for various reptiles. And I gotta be honest, I never thought the apocalypse would be caused by such a lame villain. I mean, really guys, beetles are gonna be the reason everything's on fire? Come on, man. 
The last season of Game of Thrones was bad enough when Daenerys was burning everything down with dragons. Now imagine if she had beetles instead. That shit would make the brand storyline seem exciting. Ugh. Let's get back to the kid who's like a bird or something. I don't want to these beetles. So yes, we have to address climate change. But the truth is, climate change isn't the only reason that these fires have been getting worse. There's also at least a century of government stupidity. Controlled fire or prescribed fire is the method of burning certain land to reduce wildfire hazards. This method was developed by Native Americans thousands of years ago. These low-intensity fires called cultural burnings that built much of California's forests. Without controlled burns, forests would have become overgrown and unmanageable. Overgrown forests create a lot of fuel in the form of dry or dead plants. As European colonization grew in California, native tribes were banned from engaging in cultural burning. And over time, state and federal authorities focused on quickly extinguishing any wildfires. For example, the U.S. Forest Service infamous 10 a.m. policy said that any fires that occurred must be put out by 10 a.m. the next day. This limit on fires did little to reduce the fuel that was growing on the forest floor. And even with these policies, California still has fuel loads waiting to be burned from centuries ago, making prescribed burning far more tedious and expensive than previously thought. Yeah, you heard that right. One thing that would help out a lot is if California had been doing more controlled burns, which is basically when you burn a little to prevent a lot from burning later. It's the same way you meet your college friend for coffee so that you don't have to have a three-hour dinner with them. And you know, you have to admit, it's pretty unbelievable that California is now doing what they outlawed the native people from doing. I guess it's kind of hard though to kick somebody off their land and take their advice at the same time. This is my property now, you savage. Oh, also before you go, do you have any landscaping tips, like any like mulching techniques or things that I have to learn? Now, obviously it's bad enough that wildfires are burning millions and millions of trees. But what makes it an especially big problem for people is that we've been giving the fires a lot more of our stuff to burn. Since 1990, 60% of all the homes in the United States have been built in the wildland urban interface. We've got houses in places we didn't used to have houses, and that puts people and, and property at risk. As more houses are built near wildlands, more of them burn. 50 years ago, wildfires destroyed a few hundred structures per year across the United States. Now it's more than 3,000. In California alone, more than 6 million houses are in wild areas. Because urban housing is so expensive, instead of avoiding these high-risk zones, Californians continue to build in a tinderbox of grass and trees boxed by a windy canyon. Instead of smoky bear in the middle of the woods, we need a smoky bear in the middle of suburbia. Uh-uh. You do yourself a favor, smoky bear, and you stay out of the suburbs. We don't want Karen calling the cops on you. Hello, 911. There's a bear in my neighborhood and he's, um, he's brown. But yes, one big problem is that more and more people are building homes in the middle of the forest. And let's place the blame where it belongs here, with the Keebler elves. Yeah, these guys made living in the forest look so cool that everyone started doing it. You get to be in a tree making cookies all day, sounds great, but guess what? Those cookies are covered with beetles. And if we're honest here, guys, one of the bigger issues is human arrogance. We just think we can build wherever we go. You know, wherever we build a house, that's our land now. It's the same way people in Florida are always surprised when alligators show up. Oh, there's an alligator in my backyard. No, there's a person in that alligator's house. But the good news is we can fix these problems. Yeah, 
Believe it or not, the wildfires don't have to happen the way they have been. We can stop them if we take action to reduce climate change. We can stop them if we maintain the forests. And we can stop them if we build in environmentally sensitive ways. And as for those beetles... You leave them to me. We all know how the electric system works, right? You plug your phone in, you unplug it, you plug it back in because it's only at 11%, and then you just stand by the wall all day scrolling through Instagram. But what's going on behind that wall might surprise you. In 1882, on Pearl Street in New York City, Thomas Edison opened the world's first commercial electric grid, lighting up local homes and businesses with cables connected to his power station. The modern electric grid connects to 7,300 major power plants through nearly 160,000 miles of high-voltage transmission lines and millions of miles of low-voltage lines to bring power to over 150 million customers. There are only four distinct electrical grids that service essentially all of North America. You have the two big ones, Western and Eastern, and the two electrical separatists, Quebec and Texas. The electrical grid is the most massive machine that humans have ever built. Here in the United States, uh, we use something like five or six times more energy per person than anywhere else in the world. Of course Americans consume that much energy. Americans invented a bike that you have to plug in, doesn't even go anywhere, and costs more than 10 regular bicycles. But yes, the electrical grid is the most massive machine that man has ever ever built. And it's amazing how it connects the entire continent. I mean, just think, while you're blending a smoothie in your kitchen, Donald Trump is using the same electricity to shred his tax returns. It's actually beautiful when you think about it. Wow. So there's no doubt that this is an impressive system. Unfortunately, much like a tweet from 2010, it hasn't aged well. The U.S. electric grid loses power almost three times more often than it did in 1984, much more than any other industrialized nation. Japan loses power an average of four minutes a year. But in the Northeast U.S., 214 minutes, and it just keeps getting worse. In 2010 alone, disruptions in our inefficient power grid cost our country in excess of $100 billion. We actually lose about 60% of the energy that we generate. Most of the infrastructure that we use today um, hasn't changed much since 30, 40, 50 years ago. Some of the country's power systems predate the 20th century. Um, if Thomas Edison walked into <laughs> a modern substation, he'd feel very much at home. Yeah he would feel at home, especially if he saw Joe Biden on TV. Hey, my old pal Joe is president. Joe, why are you so small? Get out of that box, Joe. But this is pretty worrisome. America's living in 2021 with an electric grid that's barely been updated in the past 50 years. You have to update technology more often than that, people. I mean, imagine trying to get through your life with the first iPhone. You couldn't even use the Maps app because New York wasn't a state back then. So clearly the grid needs to be upgraded. And we'd better do it soon because the problem is heating up. In the last half century, there have been more and more power outages because of weather. 
and it will only get worse because of our changing climate. The grids are facing more extreme conditions more often and are susceptible to really, really major failures. Our grid is no match for wildfires, no match for hurricanes and flooding. As weather patterns and temperatures get more and more extreme, the extremely hot and the extremely cold days end up driving the most significant peaks that utilities have to manage. Air conditioners can account for uh, up to half of the electricity being used in the country. The first thing that happens when you have a hot day is people use their air conditioners. The increase in um, the abundance of air conditioning uh, throughout the country um, certainly uh, means that more people can turn on air conditioning at all at about the same time. That's right. America is using way more air conditioning than its grid can handle. And I know that for a fact. Offices in this country are so cold you could store corona vaccines in your desk. And thanks to the extreme temperatures that climate change creates, this problem is only gonna get worse. And maybe you're not worried. You know, maybe you're thinking, ah, eventually climate change is gonna get so bad that I'll be stuck between a wildfire and a blizzard creating the perfect temperature. But on the off chance that that doesn't happen, America needs to find alternative methods of climate control. Like I know I do that, you know? When I'm cold, I just turn on Bridgerton. You know, those accents, the decor, reggae John Page's smolder, whew, (laughs) I'm hot already, okay. But it's not just nature that's putting the electric grid at risk, it's also technology. Of all the critical components of the U.S. infrastructure, the power grid is one of the most vulnerable to cyber attack. Imagine if the critical infrastructure we rely on every single day simply shut down. Power plants, banking systems, air traffic control, subways, all are vulnerable. Russian government hackers are actively trying to penetrate the grid to carry out potential attacks. They are already in the grid. The Russians are in, the Chinese are in. The Iranians may be on the verge of getting in. Ironically, it's our less sophisticated electric providers who may have an edge here. Rural co-ops account for 42 million people. None of these co-ops relies on the internet for the distribution of power. That's right, people. Sometimes the less fancy something is, the more you can count on it. Like Danny DeVito. That's why when everyone is messing around with their Spotify playlists on their iPhone 12s, I'm jamming out to CDs on my old reliable Discman. It's been, it's been, it's been. But those rural providers aside, America is in real trouble here. If America's electricity is hacked, that could mean hospitals lose power. The banking system collapses. Boeing planes fall out of the sky, even more than they already do. And there are so many countries already in America's grid that they're probably just arguing over who will actually get to cause the blackouts. What are you doing? Get out of here. We were here first. Get out of here, Russia. You already did an election. Give us something, huh? In fact, you know what they need to do? They need to update the Geneva Conventions for this new kind of warfare. They gotta be like, okay, look, we can bomb each other as much as we want, but can we agree no cutting power when there's a new one division? That's a war crime. So this is a scary future that the world is facing. But the good news is the United States now has Space Force. I mean, they won't be able to protect the power grid, but if it does go down, someone in space can look down on Earth and be like, yep, it looks like the lights are out down there. Everything's off. And that, my friends, is huge. Now, luckily, hackers haven't done any major damage to America's power grid yet. But wait till you hear what has. 
One of the biggest threats to the U.S. power grid isn't state actors or natural disasters. It's that little gray mammal invading your bird feeder. In fact, it's difficult to know the severity of our squirrel sabotage problem because it happens so frequently. Utility industry groups say they're the most common cause of grid trouble. They cause one of every five outages. One ill-fated squirrel can knock out power for thousands of customers or trip up whole financial markets. Squirrels have short-circuited NASDAQ not once, but twice, from the same city in Connecticut. Well, well, well. Turns out squirrels have been sabotaging us. And we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, have you ever seen a squirrel? They always look like they're plotting some shit. And I guess it turns out if squirrels were the real threat all along, some of us need to start apologizing to our dogs because it turns out they were good boys, very good boys. So yes, when you look at the state of America's electric grid, it is not a pretty picture. It's under threat from climate change, from hackers, and even jumped up rats. Honestly, just thinking about how the entire country could be shut down in an instant is starting to stress me out. In fact, I'm getting so stressed, I, I think I'm just gonna take a moment to listen to some of my Relaxing tunes. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously. And that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.